Chapter Twenty Four of the Crown of Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Crown of Life by George Gissing. Chapter Twenty Four. On one of those evenings at the seaside, Dr. Derwent, glancing over the newspapers, came upon a letter signed Lee Hannaford. It had reference to some current dispute about the merits of a new bullet. Hannaford, writing with authority, criticised the invention. He gave particulars, the result of an experiment on an old horse, as to its mode of penetrating flesh and shattering bone. There was gusto in his style, that of the true artist in bloodshed. Pointing out the signature to Arnold Jacks, Dr. Derwent asked in a subdued tone, as when one speaks of something shameful, "'Have you seen or heard of him lately?' Oh, about ten days ago, replied Arnold. He was at the Hyde Wilson's, and he had the impertinence to congratulate me. He did it too before other people, so that I couldn't very well answer as I wished. You are aware, by the way, that he is doing very well. Belongs to a firm of manufacturers of explosives. Indeed, I wish he would explode his own head off. The doctor spoke with most unwonted fierceness. Arnold Jacks, without verbally seconding the wish, showed by an uneasy smile that he would not have mourned the decease of this relative of the Derwents. Mrs. Hannaford's position involved no serious scandal, but Arnold had a strong dislike for any sort of social irregularity. Here was the one detail of his future wife's family circumstances which he desired to forget. What made it more annoying than it need have been was his surmise that Lee Hannaford nursed rancour against the Derwents, and would not lose an opportunity of venting it. In the public congratulation of which Arnold spoke, there had been a distinct touch of malice. It was not impossible that the man hinted calumnies with regard to his wife, and under the circumstances slander of that kind was the most difficult thing to deal with. But in Irene's society, these unwelcome thoughts were soon dismissed. With the demeanour of his betrothed, Arnold was abundantly satisfied. He saw in it the perfect medium between demonstrativeness and insensibility. Without ever having reflected on the subject, he felt that this was how a girl of entire refinement should behave in a situation demanding supreme delicacy. Irene never seemed in a coming-on disposition, to use the phrase of a young person who has not had the advantage of English social training. It was evidently her wish to behave as far as possible with the simplicity of mere friendship. In these days, Mr. Jacks, for the first time, ceased to question himself as to the prudence of the step he had taken. Hitherto, he had been often reminded that, socially speaking, he might have made a better marriage. He had felt that Irene conquered somewhat against his will, and that he wooed her without quite meaning to do so. On the cliffs and the sands at Cromer, these indecisions vanished. The girl had never looked to such advantage. He had never been so often apprised of the general admiration she excited. Beyond doubt, she would do him credit. In Arnold's view, the first qualification in a wife she was really very intelligent, could hold her own in any company, 
and with experience might become a positively brilliant woman for caresses for endearments the time was not yet that kind of thing among self-respecting people of a certain class came only with the honeymoon yet arnold never for a moment doubted that the girl was very fond of him of course it was for his sake that she had refused trafford remain a most illuminating incident that she was proud of him went without saying he noticed with satisfaction how thoroughly she had embraced his political views what a charming imperialist she had become in short everything promised admirably at moments arnold felt the burning of a lover's impatience they parted and the derwents returned to london arnold set off to pay a hasty visit or two in the north the wedding was to take place a couple of months hence and the pair would spend their christmas in egypt a few days after her arrival in bryanston square irene went to see the hannafords she found her aunt in a deplorable state unable to converse looking as if on the verge of a serious illness olga behaved strangely like one in harassing trouble of which she might not speak it was a painful visit and on her return home irene talked of it to her father something wretched is going on of which we don't know she declared anyone could see it olga is keeping some miserable secret and her mother looks as if she were being driven mad that ruffian i suppose said the doctor what can he be doing the next day he saw his sister he came home with a gloomy countenance and called irene into his study you were right something very bad indeed is going on so bad that i hardly like to speak to you about it but secrecy is impossible we must use our common sense hannaford is bringing a suit for divorce irene was so astonished that she merely gazed at her father waiting his explanation under her eyes dr derwent suffered an increase of embarrassment which tended to relieve itself in anger it'll kill her he exclaimed with a nervous gesture and then if justice were done that scoundrel would be hanged you mean her husband yes though i'm not sure that there isn't another who deserves the name she wants to see you irene and i think you must go at once she says she has things to tell you that will make her mind easier i'm going to send a nurse to be with her she mustn't be left alone it's lucky i went to-day i won't answer for what may happen in four-and-twenty hours olga isn't much use you know though she's doing what she can it was about one o'clock and saying that she would be able to lunch at her aunt's house irene forthwith made ready and drove to camden hill she was led into the drawing-room and sat there alone for five minutes and then olga entered the girls advanced to each other with natural gesture of distress she's asleep i'm glad to say olga whispered as if still in a sick-room i persuaded her to lie down i don't think she's closed her eyes the last two or three nights can you wait oh, do if you can she does so want to see you but why dear of course i'll wait but why does she ask for me olga related all that had come to pass in her knowledge 
only by ceaseless importunity had she constrained her mother to reveal the cause of an anguish which could no longer be disguised the avowal had been made yesterday not long before dr derwent's coming to the house i wanted to tell you but she had forbidden me to speak to any one what's the use of trying to keep such a thing secret if uncle had not come i should have telegraphed for him of course he made her tell him and it has put her at rest for a little she fell asleep as soon as she lay down her dread is that we shan't believe her she wants i think only to declare to you that she has done no wrong as if i could doubt her word irene tried to shape a question but could not speak her cousin also was mute for a moment their eyes met and fell um you remember mr otway's brother said olga in an unsteady voice and then ceased he daniel otway irene had turned pale she spoke under her breath at once there recurred to her the unexplained incident at malvern station i knew mother was foolish in keeping up an acquaintance with him olga answered with some vehemence i detested the man what i saw of him and i suspect of course mother won't say he has been having money from her an exclamation of revolted feeling escaped irene she could not speak her thoughts they were painful almost beyond endurance she could not even meet her cousin's look it's a hideous thing to talk about olga pursued her head bent and her hands crushing each other no wonder it seems to be almost driving her mad what do you think she did as soon as she received the notice she sent for piers otway and told him and asked him to help her he came in the afternoon when i was out oh, think how dreadful it must have been for her how could he help her asked irene in a strangely subdued tone still without raising her eyes by seeing his brother she thought and getting him perhaps to persuade my father how oh, i hate the name that there were no grounds for such an action what irene forced each syllable from her lips what are the grounds alleged olga began a reply but the first word choked her her self-command gave way she sobbed and turned to hide her face oh you two are being tried beyond your strength said irene whose womanhood fortified itself in these moments of wretched doubt and shame come we must have some lunch while aunt is asleep i want to get it all over to tell you as much as i know said the other mother says there's not even an appearance of wrongdoing against her that she can only be accused by deliberate falsehood she hasn't told me more than that and how can i ask of course he is capable of everything of any wickedness you mean daniel otway oh no her husband i will never again call him by the other name do you know whether piers otway has seen his brother he hadn't up to yesterday when he sent mother a note saying that the man was away and couldn't be heard of with an angry effort olga recovered her self-possession apart from the natural shame which afflicted her she seemed to experience more of indignation and impatience than any other feeling growing calmer she spoke almost with bitterness of her mother's folly 
I told her once, quite plainly, that Daniel Otway wasn't the kind of man she ought to be friendly with. She was offended. It was one of the reasons we couldn't go on living together. I believe, if the truth were known, it was worry about him that caused her breakdown in health. She's a weak, soft-natured woman. And he, I know very well what he is, he and the other one, both Piers Otway's brothers, have always been worthless creatures. She knew it well enough, and yet, I suppose their mother... She broke off in a tone of disgust. Irene, looking at her with more attentiveness, waited for what she would say next. Of course you remember, Olga added after a pause, that they are only half-brothers to Piers Otway. Of course I do. His mother must have been a very different woman. You have heard... They exchanged looks. Irene nodded and averted her eyes, murmuring, "'Aunt explained to me, after his father's death.' <sighs> "'One would have supposed,' said Olga, "'that they would turn into the honourable men, and he the scamp. "'Nature doesn't seem to care much about setting us a moral lesson.' And she laughed, a short, bitter laugh. Irene, her brows knit in painful thought, kept silence. They were going to the dining-room, when a servant made known to them that Mrs. Hannaford was asking for her daughter. "'Do have something to eat,' said Olga, "'and I'll tell her you're here. You shall have lunch first. I insist upon it, and I'll join you in a moment.' In a quarter of an hour Irene went up to her aunt's room. Mrs. Hannaford was sitting in an easy chair, placed so that a pale ray of sunshine fell upon her. She rose feebly, only to fall back again. Her hands were held out in pitiful appeal, and tears moistened her cheeks. Beholding this sad picture, Irene forgot the doubt that offended her. She was all soft compassion. The suffering woman clung about her neck, hid her face against her bosom, sobbed and moaned. They spoke together till dusk. The confession which Mrs. Hannaford made to her niece went further than that elicited from her either by Olga or Dr. Derwent. In broken sentences, in words of shame-faced incoherence, but easily understood, she revealed a passion which had been her torturing secret, and a temptation against which she had struggled year after year. The man was unworthy. She had long known it. She suffered only the more. She had been imprudent, once or twice all but reckless, but never what is called guilty. Convinced of the truth of what she had heard, Irene drew a long sigh, and became almost cheerful in her ardour of solace and encouragement. No one had ever seen the Irene who came forth under this stress of circumstance. No one had ever heard the voice with which she uttered her strong heart. The world! Who cared for the world? Let it clack and grin. They would defend the truth, and quietly wait the issue. No more weakness. Brain and conscience must now play their part. But if it should go against me, if I am made free of that man... Then be free of him, exclaimed the girl, her eyes flashing through tears. Be glad. No, no, I'm afraid of myself. We will help you. 
when you're well again your mind will be stronger to resist not that never that you know it's impossible i know and there is one thing that would really make it so i haven't told you another thing i had to say why i wanted so to see you irene looked kindly into the agitated face it's about piers otway he came to see us here i had formed a hope olga oh yes oh if that could be she caught the girl's hand in her hot palms and seemed to entreat her for a propitious word irene was very still and thinking and at length she smiled well who can say olga is good and clever oh it might have been i know it might but after this more likely than not said irene with a half-absent look this would help to bring it about oh dear only your marriage could have changed him nothing else oh i'm sure nothing else he has the warmest and truest heart irene sat with bowed head her lips compressed she smiled again but more faintly in the silence there sounded a soft tap at the door i'll see who it is said irene olga stood without holding a letter she whispered that the handwriting of the address to mrs hannaford was piers otway's and that possibly this meant important news irene took the letter and re-entered the room it was necessary to light the gas before mrs hannaford could read the sheet that trembled in her hand what i feared he can do nothing she held the letter to irene who perused it piers began by saying that as a result of a note he had posted yesterday daniel had this morning called upon him at his office they had had a long talk he declared himself quite overcome by what had happened and said he had been away from town endeavouring to get an understanding of the so-called evidence against him possibly his inquiries might effect something as yet they were useless he was very vague and did not reassure me i could not make him answer simple questions there is no honesty in the man unfortunately i have warrant for saying this on other accounts believe me when i tell you that the life he leads makes him unworthy of your lightest thought he is utterly hopelessly ignoble it is a hateful memory that i who feel for you a deep respect and affection was the cause of your coming to know him but for the fear of embarrassing you i should have brought this news instead of writing it if you are still keeping your trouble a secret i beseech you to ease your mind by seeing dr derwent and telling him everything it is plain that your defence must at once be put into legal hands your brother is a man of the world and much more than that he will not cannot refuse to believe you and his practical aid will comfort you in every way do not try to hide the thing even from your daughter she is of an age to share your suffering and to alleviate it by her affection believe me silence is mistaken delicacy you are innocent you are horribly wronged have the courage of a just cause and see dr derwent at once i implore you to do so for your own sake 
and for that of all your true friends at the end irene drew a deep breath he certainly is one of them she said of my true friends oh indeed he is again they were interrupted olga announced the arrival of the nurse sent by dr derwent to tend the invalid thereupon irene took leave of her aunt promising to come again on the morrow and went downstairs where she exchanged a few words with her cousin they spoke of piers otway's letter <laughs> pleasant for us isn't it said olga with a dreary smile picture us entertaining friends who call irene embraced her gently bade her be hopeful and said good-bye at home again she remembered that she had an engagement to dine out this evening but the thought was insufferable eustace who was to have accompanied her must go alone having given the necessary orders she went to her room meaning to sit there until dinner but she grew restless and impatient when the first bell rang she made a hurried change of dress and descended to the drawing-room an evening newspaper failed to hold her attention with nervous movements she walked hither and thither it was a great relief to her when the door opened and her father came in contrary to his custom the doctor had not dressed he bore a wearied countenance but at the sight of irene tried to smooth away the lines of disgust it was all i could do to get here by dinner-time excuse me mademoiselle wren they're the clothes of an honest working man the pet syllable a joke upon her name as translated by thibault rossignol had not been frequent on her father's lips for the last year or two he used it only in moments of gaiety or of sadness irene did not wish to speak about her aunt just now and was glad that the announcement of dinner came almost at once they sat through an unusually silent meal the few words they exchanged having reference to public affairs as soon as it was over irene asked if she might join her father in the library yes come and be smoked was his answer this mood did not surprise her it was the doctor's principle to combat anxiety with jests he filled and lit one of his largest pipes and smoked it for some minutes before speaking irene still nervous let her eyes wander about the book-covered walls a flush was on her cheeks and with one of her hands she grasped the other wrist as if to restrain herself from involuntary movement the nurse came she said at length unable to keep silence longer ah that's right uh, an excellent woman i can trust her aunt seemed better when i came away i'm glad volleys of tobacco were the only sign of the stress dr derwent suffered he loathed what seemed to him the sordid tragedy of his sister's life and he resented as a monstrous thing his daughter's involvement in such an affair this was the natural man the scientific observer took another side urging that life was life and could not be escaped refine ourselves as we may also that a sensible girl of mature years would benefit rather than otherwise by being made helpful to a woman caught in the world's snare whilst i was there pursued irene there came a letter from mr otway oh no no not from him from mr piers otway she gave a general idea of its contents and praised its tone i dare say 
threw out her father almost irritably but i shall strongly advise her to have done with all of that name oh it is true they are of the same family said irene but that seems a mere accident when one knows the difference between our friend mr otway and his brothers maybe i shall never like the name and pray don't speak of our friend in any case as you see there must be an end of that i should like you to see his letter father ask aunt to show it to you the doctor smoked fiercely his brows dark rarely in her lifetime had irene seen her father wrathful save for his outbursts against the evils of the world and the time to her he had never spoken an angry word the lowering of his features in this moment caused her a painful flutter at the heart she became mute and for a minute or two neither spoke by the by said dr derwent suddenly it is a most happy thing that your aunt's money was so strictly tied up no one can be advantaged by her death except that american hospital her scoundrelly acquaintances are aware of that fact no doubt oh it's a little hard isn't it that olga would have nothing oh in one way yes but i'm not sure she isn't safer so again there fell silence again irene's eyes wandered and her hands moved nervously there is one thing we must speak of she said at length if the case goes on arnold will of course hear of it dr derwent looked keenly at her before replying he knows already he knows how by common talk in some house he frequents agreeable i saw him this afternoon he took me aside and spoke of this it's his belief that hannaford himself has set the news going irene seemed about to rise she sat straight every nerve tense her face glowing with indignation what an infamy just so it's the kind of thing we're getting mixed up with how did arnold speak to you in what tone as any decent man would i can't describe it otherwise he said that of course it didn't concern him except in so far as it was likely to annoy our family he wanted to know whether you had heard and naturally enough was vexed that you couldn't be kept out of it he's a man of the world and knows that nowadays a scandal such as this matters very little our name will come into it i fear but it's all forgotten in a week or two they sat still and brooded for a long time irene seemed on the point of speaking once or twice but checked herself when at length her father's face relaxed into a smile she rose and said she was weary and stepped forward to say good-night we'll have no more of this subject unless compelled said the doctor it's worse than vivisection and he settled to a book or seemed to do so end of chapter twenty four